I'm a storytelling expert, and that boils down to what to say and how to say it. So I work with entrepreneurs and executives, business leaders, organizations of all sizes, but primarily with uh, the messaging side of things. So I yeah. help people figure out how to stop talking about themselves and start talking about their clients or start stop talking about themselves and start talking about their teams. It's really a service mentality. And then on the other side of that is once we get the words where they're really right, how do you deliver those words? It's the dynamics, it's the pauses, it's the way you deliver them because written prose is very different from spoken prose. And when you put the whole picture together, you get influence, you get connection, you get persuasion, you get sales, you get uh, connection with, with, with between you and other people, which is really what business is all about. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have live on the line Mr. Dave Bricker. Dave, are you there? I'm here. Great to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Glad to have you here. Um, so Dave, you're calling in from Miami, Florida, which is cool. It's uh, nice and warm down there, uh, I, I imagine at least. We're, uh, we're up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for my audience who sort of follows us around in our travels while we, uh, while we do this podcasting gig. We're on our way down to, if we're going to go see the Capitol this next week um, in Good Annapolis and and Washington. So, well, you know, we're going to try and see as much of the capital as they'll let us see despite our uh, pandemic. <laughs> um, but, you know, we put it off. It's like we've had two years we've tried to get up the East Coast and haven't been able to do it because we had a baby and then we had a pandemic. So we're going to try again this year. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. It's a great place to visit. Yeah, that's what I, I'm hoping anyways. So what I want to do real quick, Dave, is I want to go through your introduction so people know who you are and then we'll get in and start talking through your story a little bit. So. Um, as a young man, Dave Bricker was inspired by the remarkable people he met in Miami's secret floating village, which I'm really excited to hear more about. Um, it's a sailboat anchorage a quarter mile off the shore of Miami City Hall um, that attracted world travelers, squatters, and dreamers. Um, they all had remarkable stories to tell. By your senior year in college, you were living aboard your own tiny sailboat. Soon after graduation, you set sail for the Bahamas with a locker full of food and a dream and $40 in his pocket. Um, his voyages took him up and down the Bahamas, up the east coast of the U.S. to Chesapeake Bay. We were there last week, actually, which is pretty cool. Um, and across the Atlantic to Gibraltar, ran aground, dealt with mechanical breakdowns, got seasick more than once, slept in a volcano, survived powerful storms, and returned to the land of clocks and calendars with what he'd gone in search of, stories of his own. So today you are a speaker, a trainer, a coach, um, and you help remarkable people tell remarkable stories through writing, speaking, graphic design, videos, technology, and music. Um, so if you want to say it, share it, 
or sell it, bring him your story and he'll help you tell it. Love that introduction. Super cool. Um, and I particularly, I mentioned before we got on and actually started recording, my family and I are looking at uh, getting into the full-time sailing thing after our RV travels. So it's kind of cool to have someone who's had that experience on the show. It'll be um, the best and the worst times of your life. You know, that's what I tell people about traveling in the RV. We've been traveling for four years now and people ask me like, oh, it's so wonderful and, and magical. And I'm like, it sounds like that. But honestly, um, the traveling has been it, the highest points of my life and the lowest. Right. Um, and I have had points where I'm standing on the edge of a, uh, you know, the roadside screaming off into the desert, wondering what, you know, what the hell I've done with myself and my family. Um, and now magnify those two extremes. <laughs> yeah. But they just get a little bit worse, right? Cause you're on the water. Because when you're out in the middle of the ocean screaming off into the into the breakers, you're going to be thinking, boy, I sure wish I was standing in the, you know, by the side of the road in a desert. But when it's good, it's so good. You can't imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, you know, one of my, my favorite experiences over the last couple of years, we were up in Yosemite with my kids and we were, uh, um, sliding off of a waterfall into a pool 40 feet below with the kids. And that was, you know, it was like magical, um, mm -hmm. and the kind of experiences you only get when you, uh, when you take the time to explore our world a little bit. So, um, with that sort of fun introduction, why don't you tell us what your business is like now? Who do you serve and what do you do for them? I'm a storytelling expert, and that boils down to what to say and how to say it. So I work with entrepreneurs and executives, business leaders, organizations of all sizes, but primarily with uh, the messaging side of things. So I yeah. help people figure out how to stop talking about themselves and start talking about their clients or start stop talking about themselves and start talking about their teams. It's really a service mentality. And then on the other side of that is once we get the words where they're really right, how do you deliver those words? It's the dynamics, it's the pauses, it's the way you deliver them because written prose is very different from spoken prose. And when you put the whole picture together, you get influence, you get connection, you get persuasion, you get sales, you get uh, connection with, 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 between you and other people, which is really what business is all about. The money yeah, is one a of, byproduct. One of the things I, uh, I constantly tell my clients and my kids and my staff and myself I and mean, everyone I work with is that human beings are a story born people. Right. And we judge our relationships, whether we know it or not, by the stories we know of each other. Right. And so, you know, you can even take, you know, the uh, the sequence we have of like an acquaintance is someone whose name you might know, but you don't know much of their story. And a friend is someone who you, you know, you know their name and you know several of their stories. And a close friend is someone who, you know, their name, and you know, so many of their stories that, you know, you have to create new stories together. Right. And you're you're best friends, right? You're maybe your wife or your best friend, something like that. They're the people that like, you know, all of the stories that you have to tell from each other. And the only way you're going to get new stories is to go out and have new experiences together. Right. And we judge the depth of relationship on how much we know of, of each other's stories. Um, and I tell, I tell people all the time that, you know, building relationships is really, if you want to hack them, learn how to tell good stories and how to listen to other people's stories and how to extract stories from people. Well, I don't know what you need me to be here today for. You're doing a great job for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's one of my favorite things. So I'm super excited to have someone who's like that, like that's your job is teaching people how to tell stories. I just do it because that's, you know, that's my profession as a, as a podcast host is. Right. Uh, 
is getting stories from people and telling them. So I love it. Um, and, you know, the first time I've had someone on whose who's profession is teaching people how to tell stories. So that's a that's an interesting, interesting place to be in, because as far as I know, it's something that you have to like learn and develop that skill over years. So I'm curious to find out how you actually how you how you hack that process to teach people how to become good storytellers. It's well, I'll try to it's really a long story, but we don't have time for the long version and I'll try to shorten it up. I was 18 years old, home from my first year of college, extremely disillusioned because I'd gone from a private prep school to a massive university with hundreds of people in some of the classes. I mean, being in a classroom where you need need binoculars to see the teachers is just, for me, it's not a great (laughs) educational experience. But I came home and I got a job on this big art project in Miami. You can look it up. It's the Cristo Surrounded Islands Project. And Cristo is an artist. He he uh, surround, you know, he did valley curtain. He did these huge fabric installations, but he surrounded, I think it was 13 islands in Biscayne Bay with a 200 foot wide border of pink fabric. And my initial thought was, well, that's stupid, but it'll be a fun summer job. And it turned out to be a remarkable thing. You could, I encourage you look up Christo's surrounded islands on, and there's plenty of good pictures of it. But while I was Doing my summer job, which involved sitting around on a boat all day, guarding the installation. Tough job, right? Dream job when you're 18 years old. And I met these wackos who lived on sailboats in Coconut Grove in Miami. And they all had stories of, of great adventures in faraway places. And I was mesmerized because I'd always thought, well, adventures are something you find in books and movies. You can't actually live a life of adventure. And they shattered that for, for me. And I knew pretty quickly that I wanted stories of my own. So I, I took a year off of school to kind of get my bearings, but I went back and I finished up. I never did decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I got a, ended up with a uh, majoring in liberal arts with a minor in jazz guitar. <laughs> not not the most go. practical thing. But then I, toward the end, I got into graphic design and, and bought one of the early Macintoshes. And you know, so I've just fallen into the right things. And then that turned out to be visual storytelling. And as I, as I went through life, I... Um, so I finished college, and then, as you've already said, I, I bought myself a, a sailboat during my senior year, and I moved on board and started fixing it up. And after about six months after graduating, I threw my keys in the bay. I didn't need them anymore, and I took off for the Bahamas. I found myself alone in a foreign country with no money, but I odd-jobbed my way around and, you know, play a little harp music here. We'll, we'll get the time to pass and eventually jumped on a friend's boat and it was a wooden boat that he'd built. It was beautiful. This German guy, you know, live to work and work to live. He went yeah. into the forest and cut down the trees and milled the lumber and built the boat and this, this sailing cuckoo clock of his. And we sailed it uh, from the Bahamas uh, through the Azores to Gibraltar, 38 days at sea. And again, just collecting stories. And at a certain point, it's like, hey, I've, I've got some stories of my own. And okay, now what do I do? And people with big stories generally carry them around with them somewhat quietly because you end up feeling like 
nobody else quite gets you because your life experience has been very different. I'm sure living on the RV, you probably experience a certain amount of like, you know, oh, you're that guy who lives on the RV. And it's like, oh, there goes this party, right? You, you become the, it's like, it's a freak show. So you end up, anyway. Yeah, you're, but, you're, the, one, you're the one who's different. Right. Um, and I've, I've decided like people all the most common question I get, I get asked or that get told is, um, you know, I wish I could do what you do. And I used to think and used to tell people that, oh, you could. And now I realize that people don't actually want to do what you do. No, right? they're comfortable no. where they are. Right. And, you know, otherwise they do something different. It's, it's a it's a interesting sort of place to be where people are they, they like that you have the adventure. Yes. They don't really want to have your adventures. Well, there's a saying, you know, wanting is everything. You know, you look, you look at something, you look at that fancy sports car or whatever. Oh, I'd love to have that. But do you, I mean, get, get the, the first bill for the first replacement part. And all of a sudden you're not so in love with that, right? It's <laughs> wanting is everything. And I think, yeah, but you, I mean, anybody who's got a big story, it doesn't have to be an adventure story. It could be, you know, some, someone who got out of an abusive relationship or addiction. It could be somebody who, who spent three days hunkered down in a foxhole with two other people. And those two other people are going to be family to that person in a way that nobody else ever will be because there's that shared experience, that shared story that binds them together. But I came back ultimately to the land of clocks and calendars. I started a little graphic uh, design company and web company and I started working with all sorts of people with all sorts of messages and then I started helping people with books and people would send me books for typesetting because I do old school typesetting. Because if you go into a bookstore today, the books all look like crap because they're, they're tiny type and the lines are packed together and the margins are narrow. narrow. Go into uh, an antique store and pick up a book and you open it. It's like, wow, I want to read this. I don't care what it's about. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so I did old school typesetting, but I'd start finding all the problems and the errors and marking things up and sending them back. Say, you sure you want me to typeset this? And, and people are like, no, no, you edit it. Yeah, I'm not an editor. Well, I ended up at one point making about half my living editing. I got into that. Then I said, I can do that. And I wrote a bunch of books and got my butt kicked by a real editor. But on and on, it was just getting into different forms of storytelling and then I started working with professional speakers. Initially on their books, I joined the National Speakers Association, ultimately as originally as part of a practical joke, but that's a whole other story. And I've been involved with, with NSA. That's the NSA that talks, not the NSA that listens for eight there years now. And it's just been, it took me a while to figure out what is it that I do for a living? And it's, it's, it's graphic design, it's programming, it's music, it's speaking, it's writing. It's all of these things under one roof. And they're all different dialects of storytelling. And I was yeah. sitting around thinking about, okay, so what is a story and how do stories work? I had to do a lot of reflecting on that, but watching hundreds of speeches and uh, reading books, not just as a reader, but as an editor, I started just looking, looking under the hood and figuring that out. And I ultimately developed, uh, surprisingly enough, a nautical model for how stories are. That's called story sailing. Yeah, it's, uh, you're starting to see the structure under the stories. 
Yeah, and why they work and why they don't. What makes a message stick? What makes something attract attention? Well, other messages, they may be passionate and heartfelt, but after a while, people are starting to check their email. Why is that? What, what, is the, what is the psychology of paying attention? What do we need to do to make a message stick? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's so much to it as well. There's not just the story itself, but there's also the, the delivery and how it's delivered and, um, and, you know, which details you include and which ones you don't. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just a lot that goes into storytelling because it's, it's not just the story and it's not just the storytelling it. It's also the person who's receiving the story because it's not, it's not really a complete story until the person who's hearing it or consuming yeah. it makes it come alive in their head. And there are all of these, I mean, some of it's technique, but it's kind of like playing music. I mean, you can teach people technique, but then there's something that goes beyond technique and music theory, which is, we just call it being musical. Yeah. But let's take a line, for example. I love this whole point of this is the how to say it part. Take a line like the hardest thing to live with is regret. Great line. You could, you could open a speech with that, but then you think about that there's a, there, there are these words like the hardest thing. And then you want to leave people hanging for the answer. So I could write down on a piece of paper, the hardest thing to live with is regret. And you'll think, okay, that makes sense. But you could say the hardest thing to live with is regret. And it's that long pause that makes the audience. What is the hardest thing? What is it? Tell me. And, and the, inflection that you put on the word hardest and then the inflection that you put on the word regret that little breath at the end of it and all of a sudden it's not just words it's a message yeah, these types yeah, of things you've imbued it with emotion it's not just the you know you've got the sheet music on one hand but then you get to the performance you've got to interpret all those lines and dots on that page. Cause otherwise you can teach a computer to read that stuff and it's going to sound like a computer's playing the music. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it, it's there. There's something magical about that skill too, to be able to deliver that. Um, and you know, you call it being musical um, a minute ago, but there's, there's a certain level of, of talent that comes into like learning how to deliver a message, whether that's, in a written story or on stage or on video um, or, you know, sometimes even as a podcast host, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's something that I, I have learned personally, you can develop it over time too. You can, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Yeah. Richard, I think you can certainly say that it's talent, but I worry that some people just think, Oh, I don't have the talent for that. And yeah. I have met people who are just natural speakers and they're yeah. very uninhibited. But it's, it's interesting because when you're coaching people on presentation skills, part of the, the biggest part of the job is not so much teaching them the skills, is teaching them to be fully, authentically themselves and to let out the energy, the emotion. Because look, when we're kids, at some point we're screaming around the playground and somebody says, hey, cool your jets act civilized time to use your inside voice and the ladies get it earlier than we do and we spend our yeah. lives trying to be chill which is why there's mythology this mythology that any message that we try to 
send to corporate has got to be boring, can't be exciting. And corporate people are people. They go out drinking on Friday night. They have they listen to rock music. They're people. They don't want to be bored yeah. any more than anybody else does. So I think that this this idea that, yeah, it's a talent, but it's a talent that you can learn because most of it has to do Develop. with unlearning all of the inhibitions that you've been wearing for so long that you've been you've, you've been wearing those clothes for years and haven't even taken them off to wash them. <laughs> yeah, I tell people you have to you have to learn how to take your personality and turn it up to 11. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it's and sort of free yourself a little bit like you have you have yourself and you have the distinctive parts of your personality when you learn when you learn to to lean into that. Um, that that's what sets you apart and allows people to pay attention to you. And look, I lived on a sailboat for almost 15 years. I invented introvert. And most of the professional speakers I know are introverts. But we've all learned how to get out of our own way and let whatever it is, you know, let our let our authentic selves shine through. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers, right? So, you know, your, your origin story is really cool. You've got all sorts of things that you've done over the, the, this, you know, the, the length of your life here to get you where you are. And the volcano um, wasn't erupting at the time I slept in it, by the way, just so you know, that's, that's probably a good, <laughs> a good call. Otherwise you'd look a little different. Yes. <laughs> a little more face melty. I probably, right. right, right. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, we say on the show all the time, every iconic hero has a superpower, right? And, you know, that could be a fancy flying suit made by your genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius. And, right, that's either a skill they were born with or a skill that they developed over time that really energizes all of your other skills. And I think we've already sort of hinted at a little bit, but the superpower is what sets you apart. It's what allows you to help your people slay their villains and come out on top in their journeys. And if you look at all the skills you've developed over your life, your superpower is sort of the one thing that ties all of those together. Um, so with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? My superpower is certainly not something I was born with. It's something I was cultivated, uh, that I have cultivated over, over many years. But it's the ability to look at a message, whether it's a piece of ad copy or a headline or a speech, or a piece of music, whatever it is, and figure out why it works or why it doesn't work and articulate why, so that you, we can get down uh, and figure out how to fix it. Yeah, yeah, so why, why it works for like its intended audience or for? Well, you know, very often, so you'll take, you'll take something where, where somebody's selling a, we've all heard this old adage, sell the benefits, not the features, right? I mean, I didn't invent this, but people hear that principle, but they don't necessarily know how to apply it. And somebody will say, oh, my product does, does this and it does that. And we worked five years at the research to make this product happen and yada, da, 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 da. And they don't understand why people are falling asleep. And it's because they haven't really explained why it is that people should listen to this message about the product. And my golden rule of storytelling is that stories are always about people. They might be metaphorical people. They might be talking animals or aliens. But in principle, stories are always about people. And if you're not telling people, if you're not talking about people, 
you're not telling stories. If you're not telling stories, you're not connecting. And if you're not connecting, you're not selling. And for some people who have an aversion to the S word, selling, anyone who's tried to put a child to bed is selling. Anyone who's asked someone for a raise is selling. Anyone, yeah, yeah. Anyone who's asked someone out on a date is selling. Selling is not about getting people to part with their money. That's a byproduct of selling. So it's really the art of engagement, the art of influence. If you're talking about prices, processes, ingredients, or data, you're not talking about people. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that uh, that I always like, the, the whole learning how to speak in benefits instead of speaking in features and advantages, um, is a, a mentor of mine said this to me. I mean, it was like, the if you think of things like um, the uh, the airbag in a car, right? So this car comes equipped with an airbag, mm-hmm. right? That's a feature. The advantage is it deploys on impact, right? To cushion your blow. And that's right. where most people stop. It was like, the benefit is it'll save your life, right? Exactly. And if you, don't get, if you don't get to the, how does this save your life? You're missing the benefit. <laughs> and, and Richard, you're right on top of where you want to be because ultimately, you know, we're, we're hunter-gatherers. We stepped out of the wilderness 20,000 years ago. I mean, there were still mammoths and saber-toothed tigers roaming the land when, I mean, it, it really, but in geological terms, it wasn't that long ago that we were cave people. This is the dawn of human civilization. And look where we are now, talking on Zoom, right? Yeah. You're talking about yachts and RVs. And I mean, the, what's gone on in, in no time flat is tremendous. But we're still hunter-gatherers at heart. And we spend our lifetimes, our, our natural mode of being is scanning the world for threats, and opportunities, and we're looking around. So if you're speaking to me, you'd better give me an opportunity or a threat pretty quickly, or I'm going to keep scanning, which is why what do people do when they get bored? They pick up their phones and they start checking their email because there might be an opportunity there. And obviously, as, as speakers, as writers, as messengers, we don't really want to deliver threats to people. But the value proposition's got to be clear up front. That's why they call it paying attention because somebody is deciding to invest in your message instead of in what they might miss by not scanning. But the magic yeah. is when you pull someone into your story and they're out on the boat or out in the desert with you standing beside the road with the, with two flat tires or whatever it may be, they're in your story and they're scanning for threats and opportunities inside your narrative. And guess what? You're the guide. They're looking yeah. to you in that environment to get them out of it. And logically, they understand that they're sitting on their computer screen or they're driving in their car and they're really a passive observer of your story. But on uh, an instinctive level, on an amygdala level, they're in your story fighting for yeah. survival but and when we have a I message love, we want to reach people here yeah absolutely what i love about that metaphor too especially is is the um because i tell this all the time with with teaching people how to do selling is that what you're doing is you're taking people on a journey right and the metaphor i always use for them is you know if it is you know just for uh 
grounding sake is like anything you're selling, you're trying to take someone like, Hey, they're, they're in Los Angeles and where they want to get to is New York. Your job as the salesperson is to help them go on that journey. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take you like, you know, in, in the ad, you might take them from Los Angeles to, you know, to Nevada. And in your, your first, you know, course or something like that, you might take them from Nevada to, you know, like St. Louis. But anyways, the, you, you are the, the guide that takes them on the journey. Um, and, you know, maybe your business only helps people get to, to St. Louis or something, but, you know, you're, you should always help people on like, Hey, the next part of your journey is going to be across this part of the country and you have to go, go here. Here's what you're going to look forward to. And the, uh, the problems you're going to run along the way. And you're, it's, it's always about the journey you're taking someone on. Um, and the best way to take someone on a journey is through storytelling. No question about it. And this whole concept of a journey is so important. And I'll give you a couple of examples of where presenters and writers screw up because you have to, you, I, I always say, vote yourself off the island and explore the world in a U-boat. And what happens is someone gets, I love up, it. <laughs> someone, someone gets up and they tell their story. Like I could tell my story about crossing the Atlantic ocean on a wooden boat. And for three, maybe four minutes, people are going to be really interested. And then subconsciously, they're going to start thinking, this is cool, but I got this stuff on Netflix. I need this to be about me. So I can tell a story about a storm at sea or an ocean passage or something, but I've got just a few minutes to say, have you ever felt like that in your business where you're out at sea in those rough seas and nobody can see you? And there are these cruise ships and freighters out there that would run you over and not even feel it. How are you going to catch the attention of the big opportunities cruising right by you in your life? And all of a sudden, my story, my journey is a metaphor for my listener's journey. And once they're there and that mapping is done, then I have their full attention. But if you just talk yeah. about yourself and tell your story, people are like, look, I, this is great, but I got to pick my kids up in half an hour. I got a story of my own. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. One of the, one of the things I do when, when I help, help clients uh, like edit ad copy, for instance, or edit like a, a direct mail sales letter that they're sending out is the first thing that I do with them is I just, I, I take a red pen and I circle all the times they were they use the word I and we and us um, and our, and just circle them all in red. And then I take a blue pen and I circle all the times they use the word you. <laughs> and I was like, if that word you is not at least three times larger in quantity than the I and the we in the hour, you need to rewrite it. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting too, because there's, there's some psychology there. Because when we use the word we in a message, that's a great time. You know, we all suffer from this. We've all had to deal with it. That's when you're down in the trenches with your audience and you're commiserating yeah. with them. So you're not talking about yourself. You're saying, hey, we've all struggled to do this. We've all bought business books and read two chapters and stuck them on the night table and then stuck another book on top and never finished them, whatever. And people, yeah, he gets me, right? Yeah. That, that's something you build. But then when you talk about, then you move to the you shift the focus to you, more of those you references, get rid of those pieces of the copy. You know, our company offers, I believe, I think, we're proud of, we're excited to announce. They don't care about you, at least not, not until you've given them a reason to think that you care about them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you have to, you have to learn how to take, you know, the service that you offer and put it in terms of, I, I call it living in the promised land. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So like if they're that. on, if they're on, yeah, if they're on one side of, of the, uh, I call it, you know, I call it, my whole metaphor for it is on the le- you're on, the, you've got the crocodile infested river and you got the land of pain that they're living in right now. And then you got mm-hmm. the promised land on the other side of the crocodile infested river. And your job as a storyteller is, and as a, product developer and someone who offers services and whatnot is to take someone from that land of pain and lack and to get them across the crocodile infested river, which is their journey. They have to go on to live in the promised land and you have to take them over to the other side of the promised land and show them what life is like after they've solved their problem. So right? you'll, after they've cleaned their pool, after they've, <laughs> you know, bought your car, like what does their life look like now that their problem is gone? All right. Um, because all the stuff before that, they don't care about. <laughs> your your, your so model is wonderful. And you'll, you'll, I think you'll get a laugh out of this because my model is that the person, the client, the subject, whoever it is, the main character in the story is stuck out in a sailboat on the rocky, stormy seas of conflict, which is the equivalent of your land of pain. And they need to get yeah. across the water to the safe port of transformation. And in order to do that, they need the water needs to be deep enough. And therefore, the, the problem you're solving needs to be deep enough. It needs to be the authentic problem. The problem is not that they don't have enough money. The problem is that they don't have enough money to feed their children. There's some survival level thing that's really going to motivate them. That's where the deep water is. And then finally, what moves that sailboat is wind, an invisible, powerful force. And that is that individual person or organization's unique set of talents, could be their team, it could be their their leadership, it could be specialized equipment, whatever it is that makes them unique. And there's no competition. How do they use their wind to blow from the the stormy seas of conflict to the safe uh, port of transformation without running aground on those shallow rocks? So my model's very similar to yours. And this is the beauty of storytelling because you're, you're talking about crossing a river, which is a very common metaphor for a journey. I'm talking about crossing um, a body of water and somebody else will come in and talk about climbing a mountain. And you know what? It's, it's yeah. all common it's all metaphors a, it's for all the a journey. journey. I always explain that we storytellers, we're journeyists, not journalists. That's, that is a, that's a great way of putting that. I like, I like that. I like your, your metaphor too. It's uh it's very, it's very similar to mine. Um, and I always like, I, I personally, I always use that in my storytelling stuff is looking at, you know, someone who's where, where are they now in that land of pain and lack? And like, there's, there's like levels of awareness, like how close to the crocodile infested river they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And depending on how far they away they, they are from that, the edge of that precipice is like, it determines how you're going to talk through the message. And when they're actually going through the journey of crossing the crocodile infested river, right? That's where they're actually going to try and solve their problem and come out on the other side. Like you have, mm-hmm. there's so many pieces to, to hit in this story that you're telling. Um, and, you know, I find personally, just as, as a fellow storyteller, learning, having your own sort of metaphor that you work through in your head is really, really helpful to, to, cause you, you sort of have to have like those mental hooks where you're hanging the pieces of your story. So, you know, you're not missing things. And so you're actually telling a story that's going to engage your audience, right? 
Um, and so, and it's, it's, it's super cool to hear that you're doing this a similar <laughs> thing and helping people the same way. Yeah, it's, it's fun, but I love how, you know, the, the language of the metaphor is different, but the essence of it is pretty much identical. The, the yeah, other, yeah, because human beings are the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all different, but on, there's this other sort of um, undertow, this stream underneath whatever words we use, this current, and your metaphor will work just as well as mine, which will work just as well as the mountain climbing one, which will work just as well as the training to run a marathon one. It's interesting that the, the gap happens, and I think this is where some of our good work gets done, is very often the problem, the conflict is not what the client thinks it is. Yeah. And, and this is where coaching comes in, because if you come in and prescribe, no, this is not your problem. Here's what's really wrong. They're going to send you packing. And, and, and that's the difference between coaching and consulting, because a consultant brings smart answers, but a coach asks wise questions. And that's where you get with your client and you ask them those questions that allow them to reveal the truth to themselves. Then you can go forward. Because very often, the problem is that they're stuck in the wrong story. They don't think something is possible, or they think that something, they think someone else is holding them back. Things like that. Yeah, I like that idea of being stuck in the wrong story, um, mm -hmm. too. Because the, uh, the, the story you're telling yourself is going to determine a lot of your actions. Um, and, you know, if you're telling yourself the wrong story, you're going to take the wrong actions and end up in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, all, all roads ultimately lead home, but sometimes that's the long, hard road that you don't need to take. Yeah. So I, I just had, I had a thought when you were, you were talking about the, uh, you know, sort of the metaphors all being common and human beings being the same. You've traveled the world a bit. Um, one of the things I've noticed um, as a traveler is that as, as we go places and you meet people and you meet kids and you meet families and you meet people in all sorts of different walks of life from different cultures and whatnot, um, is ultimately the biggest thing that I've noticed is that human beings are incredibly consistent. Um, we're consistent in like uh, what we like to do and how we talk and how you communicate, even if you don't speak the same language or have the same culture. Um, just from a, a the like a biological standpoint, it all comes back to learning how to tell stories and learning how to tell stories to, you know, to like watching kids play, they're all telling stories to each other. It doesn't matter whether or not they speak English or whatever, they're all doing the same kind of thing. Um, I'm just curious if you've, if you've sort of experienced the same thing. Yeah, I have. And, you know, stories are just the language of the human soul. And I can recall back in the Azores on my uh, Atlantic crossing, I was in a marina and a bunch of boaters got together for a spontaneous party. And I think there were 12 different nationalities present and probably about a fourth of the people spoke English. And we were bound together as a community by our common love of boats and our lifestyle and the fact that we were all, you know, in the middle of this transatlantic voyage that we were. Some were coming from Europe and going back. Some were coming from North America across. But we were all out in the middle. We were a thousand miles from the nearest mainland. And so this bound us together. When I started playing music, when I pulled my guitar out and started playing, there was one group of people with one language. Everybody was 
tapping their feet to the same beat. Everybody loved it. And I, I became so aware of what an incredible bond formed just because, yeah, maybe we couldn't exchange words, but we could, we could all dig the same melodies. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and it just, it just speaks to that heart that human beings are, you know, ultimately we're the same. We haven't changed, you know, all the way back from that hunter gatherer stage to today, you know, psychology is psychology is psychology, right? Where, you know, I, I tell people all the time, if you want to pick up some good marketing stuff, pick up some of the stuff from a hundred years ago from Peter Drucker and, you know, stuff like that. Cause it hasn't changed. It's good stuff. And, you know, people say, Oh, you know, social media is newfangled and you got to learn how to tell stories this way and whatnot. No, you don't. Storytelling hasn't changed. <laughs> the mediums might change and the methods you might use to tell the stories don't change or might change, but the, the act of telling a story to take someone on a journey and to help them, um, help them connect your stories and your education to get them to their, you know, what I call a promised land. It doesn't change, right? It's, it's the same, no matter what you're, uh, what you're doing. Absolutely. You know what you beat on a drum, people are going to dance. It doesn't matter if they're a bunch of computer technicians on the 50th floor of an office tower, or if it's some primitive tribe out in the middle of a jungle somewhere that's, that's never seen civilization. You bang on that drum and we're all going to dance and you do something funny and people are going to smile. It's just universal. We all use the same facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, there's something hardwired about being human. I think I'm. I think I'm going to write that as one of our quotes for this show. If you beat on a drum, everyone will dance. That's that's very poetic. So I. I want to uh, I want to move on a little bit with the conversation. Talk a little bit about the flip side of your superpower, right? Which is your fatal flaw. Right. And, you know, every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman has her bracelets of victory. She can't remove without going mad. You probably have something that you've struggled with, something that's held you back. Right. Something, um, you know, for me, it was a couple of things like uh, perfectionism. I struggled with perfectionism for years where it kept me from actually shipping stuff because I, you know, I could tweak it just a little bit more. Um, or one of the other things I struggled with was a lack of self-care. So I'd let my, I didn't have good boundaries, let my clients walk all over me. Um, and those held my business back for a long time. So I think more important though, than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to rectify it and overcome it? So our audience might learn a little bit from your experience. Well, it's, it's always been an ongoing journey and I relate to some of the things, uh, excellence really is rewarding and, you know, mediocrity hurts. And the more aware you become of the mediocrity in the world, everything from bad kerning, I mean, how much signage has horrible letter spacing or, or bad grammar, things that don't bother normal people that, that just, you know, for me, they're like being bitten to death by ducks. It just drives me nuts when I look around. So the more discerning you become about the messages oh in God. the world, <laughs> the way people, the way people express them, it's like, oh my God, it's like you become aware of all of this pollution around you. And then, yeah, the other one you're talking about is I, I try to be, you know, serving of other people. That's rewarding to me. And I've had to learn to just say no to never saying no. It's, it's. <laughs> it's it's important. That's a good one too. <laughs> I'm full of them. They just flow, but <laughs> collect them. I think of them. Sorry about that. Enjoy them. Whatever. Steal them. <laughs> but but um, you know, well, language is fun, right? But yeah, you um, you you just have to as you get out in the world and in front of more people and you serve more people, especially as a speaker. And all of a sudden you're in front of audiences of hundreds of people. And 
all of a sudden you find you don't have that hour to spend with every stranger who calls. You know, you try, but you you yeah. have to set those limits and boundaries because um, you serve people as you can, but also there are there are some people who are insatiably hungry and they'll just drain you dry. And you, it's like, I'm still at that point. I'll, I'll take a phone call and talk to just about anybody, but uh, I keep an eye on the on the clock and set some boundaries on it. And, and it may not always be that I'm able to do that and I'll miss when I'm not. But ultimately, if you can't move yourself forward, you're not going to be able to move anybody else forward. And if you get yeah. lost in that uh, world of service to the point where you can't sustain your own strength and grow, then you're in, you're in a negative feedback loop and you're not going to do any good for anybody. Yeah, the the self care thing is such an interesting thing for entrepreneurs to learn because especially you know we're we're in the business of serving other people, right? And learning how to um, how to take time for yourself, right? Um, and how to set good boundaries for yourself and for your clients. And there's so so much that goes into that. Everything from making sure that you're healthy, making sure that you're rested, making sure that you have a good boundaries with your clients, and like all those things lead to you being able to deliver better or whatever it is that you do. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting thing to, to learn. Um, and I know, you know, I, I tell people on this show all the time, we talk about giving yourself permission to play, right? Cause I'm not sure it's, it's an American thing for some reason, but we have this, this whole idea that, that recreation is a reward for a job well done and not a requirement to do good work. That one's not uh, been my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you have you have to become intentional about taking time for yourself, taking and taking time for your family, and putting you know, taking the time to create stories. Thank you. Right. Thank that's you. that's you know you you have to you have to put the effort into creating stories. Otherwise, you know who's going to read your who's going to read your book when you die? Right. That kind of thing. And <laughs> um, and if if you take the time to to live live this life and not just work. Right, then you out you you have those stories are what allow you to grow your business and to grow your influence and to grow the the work that you do. Yeah, and surround yourself with positive, powerful people and create stories with them. That's where your superhero stories really come from. I mean, we That's know there are there are solo superheroes, but they all sooner or later they end up in the Avengers or the Justice League or whatever it is, right? They let let's let's put a bunch of good guys together, and really, really, all of a sudden, the sum is uh, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. And I, I think as we find the superheroic aspects of ourselves, the superheroes are just a metaphor for human potential, right? And I mean, yeah. they're 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 just the modern modern day Greek gods. They're just modern day myths, and you surround yourself with other people with with superpowers, and you'll find that for every you know, brilliant people are wonderful, but they're like strings of Christmas lights where there's some really bright lights, and then you've got some where yeah. there aren't even bulbs in the sockets to make up for the bright ones. And it's how people are. Nope. Nobody's got all bright lights. Everybody's got their blind spots. Everybody's got their kryptonite, right? We're talking about this superhero mythology and it's, you know, so you get people with super strength and they've got super vulnerabilities. And that's why we, one of the reasons we connect with people and there are plenty of people you plug the lights in and they just kind of flash and do what they're supposed to do. And that's fine. Show me someone who's got two or three or four really bright lights 
and you know stay away from those other ones they're going to electrocute you <laughs> that's what I, makes uh, people like that so fun though i mean i i love I, I love the idea of of getting the superheroes together to create the avengers right because like we essentially you know in in the business world we talk all the time about networking and your network is your net worth um and that's the boring way of saying the same thing right <laughs> <laughs> That, that you're, you know, it's, it's getting, getting the people together and learning how to, um, how to, you know, connect with other superheroes and that's where, and create stories together because that's how the, that's how the big changes are made in the world. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to add to that, because we're talking about superheroes and we're talking about brilliant people and stuff like that, but I'll tell you, you don't, I mean, look, you're, you're crisscrossing the world in an RV and I did my sailing Trip. And I know there are people listening or thinking, well, gee, you know, I don't have a story like that. And, you know, the old adage size doesn't matter really comes into play. And anyone who's owned a pet, anyone who's been in, relig- in a relationship, anyone who has started a business, we all have stories and they don't need to be worthy of a National Geographic special or a Netflix documentary to merit storyhood and you know, my, my, one of my favorite examples is you show me a company where you've got four people working in a cluster of cubicles. If you could be a fly on the wall and listen to the messages that go over and under those walls and around and the jokes that happen and stuff, the little tiny community that forms in that group of four people working in, in an insurance company, you, you can write a sitcom about that. We all have stories, but sometimes we don't think our stories are meaningful or big enough or valuable. And we can, we can, I mean, people can create stories in solitary confinement. People can create stories anywhere and they all matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I, I haven't yet figured out how to help other people understand that their story matters like on a consistent basis. Um, If there's some magic to that, I would love to know, but the, the, the idea that, that your story matters and the reason it matters is because it's unique. It's unique to you, right? It, you're the, um, well, you know, to go back to my, my, my metaphor of crossing the crocodile infested river, I always tell people, you know, when someone's standing on the edge of that precipice and they want to cross the crocodile infested river, the one who's going to help them is you, right? You have your boat and your boat has, you know, it has crocodile disintegrating lasers and GPS <laughs> navigation and, you know, whatever. And the most important part of that boat is it's got you as the captain. Right. Mm-hmm. And as the captain, you have you have perspective. You've been across the river before. You you have a story. And that perspective is such an important part of the value you bring to the world. Right. Yes, and but, but our role is to be the guide in the story. They have to be the hero of the story. Yeah. So if they just if they just pay us to ferry them across, they don't grow. They don't learn from the journey. They're a few dollars yeah. shorter and they go on their way. And there's a place for that, right? We talk about stuff that, that people, I'll bet you're in the same place doing living the way you do. You get stuck in a do-it-yourself loop. And hours later, you think, you know, I could have paid somebody to do this. And I could have been out of here three days earlier for a lot less money. But, you know, we get we want to take take charge of things. But, yeah, it's it's so important to encourage the people we work with to become a captain to become a navigator yeah. and and sometimes sometimes they, they lose a leg or something <laughs> to a crocodile but you know what crocodile. It's ultimately a better journey for them than if we just 
picked them up in our balloon and ferried them gently across. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and my uh, my my sort of my favorite part about the whole the whole thing with teaching people that their story is valuable is once people sort of realize it, once they realize that their story is valuable, uh, like you, it's, it's sort of like a magical moment when people realize that, Hey, my story actually can help someone else. Um, and you know, I, my, one of my favorite quotes, I can't remember the guy who, who says it, but you know, it was, you need to find what makes you come alive and go do that because the world needs more people who've come alive. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's all, it's all sort of in that space of learning how to, how to tell your story. Um, and when you find out how to tell your story and it helps someone else, that's sort of a magical moment. And it makes you come that that's when you, when at least I've found makes you feel like the most alive. <laughs> yeah. You know, as growing up as a pretty shy and introverted person who really thought that my story didn't matter very much. Maybe that's one of the things that actually drove me to go out and find bigger stories because I didn't think that my pretty much mainstream American life, it wasn't a very satisfying story to me. And so I went out and did some things. But what I've, what I've come to realize, especially working with executives and people like that, is we create this story in our head that executives and celebrities and people in power are so confident and they have everything together and they're so in control. Another aspect of the human condition is that we all battle the demons of self-doubt. We all are subject to, to self-doubt, to thinking, to imposter syndrome and all of this. And this is the universal human condition. And when we allow ourselves to get stuck in that quicksand, I think that that's what pre prevents us from having that big story. You know, people say, oh, you sailed across the ocean? I could never do that. That's, that's just terrifying. Weren't you afraid? I, I don't have the guts to do that. And I'll say, well, how many hours a day do you, expend, do you spend on the expressway? It's like, well, an hour or two and an hour from work. Okay, that's 10 hours a day. So you're spending 500 hours a year on the expressway and you think crossing the Atlantic Ocean is dangerous. Maybe <laughs> you're stuck in your story. Because the statistical odds of survival between sailing across the ocean, which hundreds of people do every year, or spending 500 hours driving on the expressway, forget it. There's no comparison. It's yeah, the one stories of them is... we tell ourselves that begin with the words, what if? And we use yeah. our imaginations to hold us back instead of to propel ourselves forward. Notice the yeah, clever use people, of we. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people all the time that uh, what if is one of the most important questions you'll ever ask yourself, um, right? And and if you ask it right and you you start thinking about it correctly, the uh, you know you know what what if there was a, uh, a school for witchcraft and wizardry? Mm -hmm, Maybe you mm -hmm. might create the first billion dollar author, right? You know and yeah. and. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's such, it's such a powerful question to ask yourself, you know, what if we changed this? What if we changed that? That's, that's how, that's how I help people develop products too, is you look at, you know, what's a common problem people are having? How are they teaching it? What if you changed something? What if you brought your perspective to bear on that problem? But then um, there's right? the dark side of the force, which is what if we fail? What if we die? Yeah. What if we get hurt? What if we spend years trying to achieve this and we don't make it? What if, what if? 
you know, oh, I, I, I'd love to ask her out and have a relationship, but what if she breaks up with me and breaks my heart? It's like, well, you know, it's what if, what if? So what if is a powerful question, but you, you have to... You have to be careful. It's 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 a double-edged sword. I love, <laughs> I love the dark side of it too. So I, I tell people that, you know, because the, the dark side of the what if question is just as powerful because you know it's it's in that in that future pacing, like because what you're doing is you're future pacing yourself, right? What if we change this? What if we move something? And if you're going onto the dark side of it, what if what if I do this and we end up on the side of the road and you know, I can't take care of my family. We don't have a house and like all those things happen. What if all that, what, what, what if those things happen? Then you have to ask yourself the next question. What do I do next? Yeah. Right. And you realize, you realize how, um, when you, because you, you, your brain wants to take it to the extremes. And when you go to the, go to the extremes with them and you realize, Hey, even if we get to the extremes, I have, I have an idea at least of how I can take it to the next step. And the, the bad side of the what ifs become less scary because you've acknowledged them. Um, and then, you know, you're probably not going to end up on the best side of the what ifs, but you're probably not going to end up on the worst side of the what ifs either. So you'll probably end up somewhere in the middle and it gives you the inspiration to, you know, move forward and actually take the next step in your own story. My, my friend and mentor, Bruce Turkel gave me a wonderful lesson when I was really getting started in the speaking business. And I was saying, oh, what am I going to do if I blow one of my lines? And what am I going to do if I'm speaking and the projector bulb goes out? or there's a power failure, or, and he stopped me, he said, guess what? All of those things are going to happen to you at some point. It's not if they're going to happen, they're going to happen. Expect them to happen, be cool when they do, and celebrate them as rites of passage. None of those things are going to kill you. And you know what? It's come to pass. I've had all sorts of stuff and I can actually be in two places in my head. Like, okay, I'm on the platform giving a presentation and, you know, my remote control stops working or the slides don't work or something glitches. And you know what? It's like, yes, <laughs> it's like, here it is. <laughs> this is, you know, I've got an awkward situation and I'm just going to work it out, figure out a way to muddle through. And there, there we go, because the, the audience doesn't care about your technology. But if they see you being cool under pressure, they understand they're all terrified to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> and they see you coming through it, that's sometimes a bigger and more powerful lesson than whatever you happen to be blabbering about at that particular moment. Yeah, yeah. And I know like one of the common questions we get all the time is like, you know, what about all the things that go wrong when you're traveling? And you realize that like, we tell people now we've been traveling for years, like literally, if you're going to, because people are like, oh, we're considering getting, you know, traveling full time, like you guys do. What's your advice? And my advice always is, Everything that you think is going to go wrong is going to go wrong and more so than you think so than you think. Yeah. Right? Like, so embrace like, it. Embrace it. Like literally everything's gonna break. <laughs> Nobody uh, ever had an adventure where everything went right. <laughs> that's a good way to put it too. There is it's not an adventure if everything went right. Exactly. You know, we just got on the we just did the thing and everything went well. And we came back and it was all hunky dory. That's not it's yeah. not a story. What's the best story? It's, oh, we went camping and it was a beautiful day. We got the tent set up and then the clouds rolled in and it rained and it rained and it rained and it got cold at night. And then, you know, we heard growling around the tent and the mosquitoes showed up. And yeah, I mean, what's funnier than the disaster camping trip story? Nobody wants to hear the one where you set up your tent and sat by the lake and went fishing and had a nice meal and went home. Who cares? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's the adversity that makes life. I call it the texture and contrast of life. Yeah, right? go in, uh, find the find the trouble and get out of it. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about then your common enemy. Speaking of things that go wrong, right? Every every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's a thing they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of your clients, right? Someone hires you and says, "Hey, I want to help with my storytelling." What is a mindset or a flaw that you're constantly having to fight against to overcome so that you can actually get them the results that you promised in the first place? You know, if you had your magic wand and you could take your client as soon as they hired you and bop them on the head and not have to deal with that anymore, what is what is that common enemy, that arch nemesis that you have to deal with? I find that there are some people who want to tell everybody. It's like saying, like, like it's a badge of honor. Oh, I have a personal trainer, but they're not really working hard at their workout. And for people who want a presentation coach or a messaging coach, sometimes they're just looking so that they can, t- they, they want to be able to tell somebody that they have this person attached to them, but they're not willing to listen to them. They're not willing to fight with them. <laughs> and it's sort of like clients who hire checking you. Checking off to, a box. Yeah. Clients who hire you to be a designer and tell you what colors to use and what fonts to use. Uh, essentially, I have no patience for people who hire professionals and then tell them what to do. And it's not that you have to accept everything that we say with a, you know, as gospel challenge it, but some people just aren't coachable because no, I've always done it this way. Thanks for the input, Dave, but this is the way I want to do it. And you're thinking of 10 reasons. Why did you hire me? Yeah. Why? I mean, Look, I, I mean, I, I've got people who value my input. So, you know, I mean, just, just to have me, I mean, the money's nice, but I won't keep a client for that like that for very long. I, I want, look, it's a collaboration, whether we're working on a book or a speech, it's, it's all about tough love going in both directions. And we, you know, we put on our softest gloves and we hit each other as hard as we can. And it's it's fighting for the high ground where no 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 i really i need to say this in some way and then we find another way we could spend an hour talking about a sentence and then other times the pages just flow by but at the end everybody feels like yeah this is good feel good about this we've got the message yeah so it's ultimately i i think that you know the people i'm fighting with are the people who they say they want a teacher, but they're not willing to learn. They're not willing to participate in the process. Their egos are too fragile to withstand feedback and input. And if the story they're stuck in is that they're already perfect, I have no reason to dissuade them from, from that belief. Life will do that for me. Yeah. And then they'll come back um, at some point. (laughs) So it's, it's an interesting thing. I know I've dealt with that myself. Um, and, uh, with, in the coaching space, I don't do a lot of coaching anymore. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the one that's always bothered me is, um, in the graphic design space, which you mentioned, because I've done, I've, we did that in the past at a lot of website building and you'd put things together and then they come back and they'd be like, I don't like that. I want it to be this way. And you'd be like, but you see, I, I like, I do this for a living. And if you do it that way, things are going to break. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's not going to do what you want. And they, they want to fight you on it. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I know you're a global organization, but globes and swooshes are the two most cliche elements you could possibly put in a logo. 
And do yeah. you want to look distinct and unique, or do you want to look like you 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 put five dollars in the logomatic and got what it sent you? You know, it's like don't don't hire a designer and then art direct. And you know what? You don't even really ideally you will, but what if you don't like how the thing works, how it looks? It's okay as long as your clients and customers do. It's a business instrument. We're not decorating your bedroom. Yeah. You know, a yeah, it's, not, it's not about you. Yeah, it's about serving your clients. And and I worked and I worked with a with a big pharma company once and worked worked with this uh, vice president who was the guy who brought me on. And he was great. And I showed him a design for something I'll never forget. He said, Dave, I can't say I love this. And it's certainly not what I would have thought of. But he said, I trust you. If you think this is a design that's going to work, then I say we go with it. And I thought that was just wonderful leadership. Here's a guy who's vice president of a multi-billion dollar uh, pharmaceutical company. But his attitude is, you know, we brought, we brought talent and expertise on board. We're paying good money for that talent. The stupidest, stupidest thing we could do is second guess that talent. The Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. Now back to the hero show. So I have, I want to move on a little bit and talk about your driving force, right? So if your common enemy is the arch nemesis, it's what you fight against. Your driving force is what you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. <laughs> what is it that you fight for with the uh, story sailing? Interesting question. What do I fight for with story sailing? I find, again, there is ultimately when you get rid of all of these veneers of expectations and self-doubt, you arrive at a certain undeniable authenticity. And I think above all, what I find more rewarding than, than, than the money or any of it is watching somebody discover that and become that larger version of themselves that they were always afraid to be. And I've done that as an editor, but as a presentation coach, I can do in hours what it takes me months to do, you know, working with pros and yeah. getting somebody to that next level. 
And I love watching somebody come in and, you know, people who look at their feet and give you a limp noodle handshake because they're so pathologically shy. And three months later, they're up on the platform and they're gesturing and they're, it's like something comes out of them that they were always afraid to let out. And finding that light, helping people find that light within themselves is the most rewarding thing in the world to me. I think it's an experience that too few people have. And some people will find it through, um, presentation and some people will find it through dancing and some people will find it through playing cello. It's not that people have to work with me on presentation skills, but find some way to express yourself and work with some mentor who will help you rediscover your big. Yeah. Your authentic self. I love, I love the idea of something that's undeniably authentic, which is what you said a minute ago. And I know when it comes, I guess, but (laughs) (laughs) it it it, perhaps it is but the 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 thing that strikes me about it is that i was just i was on a podcast last night we were uh, i was on a uh, addressing gettysburg which is a cool podcast about history and whatnot because we were saying in gettysburg and i got to go on their podcast but the uh, one of the things that um, we were talking about is people have a um we we have a finely attuned bullshit meter Right. Where if if the story details for whatever it is, don't line up like we we don't trust the story. Right. And so we we know when something is not authentic, when the story doesn't make sense um, and when you are not living your authentic self and not living, you know, being undeniably authentic, that shows other people see it. Right. Um, and so it's hard to connect with them and hard to have that sort of next level. I'm interrupting so, you. But but I remember being a little kid and my father took me in the movie theater to see 2001, A Space Odyssey. And at some point in the movie, he says, why is there sound in space? He messed <laughs> me up for life. That's <laughs> <So, laughs> yes. accurate, right? Our, our, the, the, the bullshit meter is hard to fool. Um, yeah, yeah. And so better than trying to fool it is learn how to be authentic. <laughs> So yeah, I I love I love that idea that what you're uh, what you're fighting for is to help people become undeniably authentic yeah. um, with themselves. That makes the so, world a better place. Yeah. So I'm going to skip forward and talk a little bit about your guiding principles, right? And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies; he only ever takes them to Arkham Asylum. Um, so as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about top one or two principles you use regularly in your life. Um, maybe something you wish you had known when you first started out on your own hero's journey. So one of my principles is it's easier to humor a fool than it is to argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need a lot of explanation, but sometimes people just get caught up in meaningless rules and grids and things like that, and you just have to say yes and and not and not necessarily engage them because that's the story they're stuck in and you're not going to get them unstuck because they're going to cling to that story if it you know no matter what and so you just it's easier to humor a fool than it is to argue with him and of course it's easier to beg forgiveness than it is to ask permission now i'm not saying ignore all the rules but hey, you got one life to live, right? As far as we know, maybe we'll find out different at some point. But I'm counting on this one because I've got it and I'm experiencing it and I'm pretty sure it's real. And so- <laughs> Might be a simulation, you never know. You know, there, there are, again, all of these people who will say, you can't do that. 
don't do that. You're going to, I mean, how many people, oh, you're going to take off in an RV with your family. You're throwing your life away. People say all sorts of things to you, right? Try it with sailing. Like, oh, how can you do this? You're, whatever it is, it, it just challenges people's reality. And you know what? It's sometimes you just have to go live life and do what you're going to do and make your own rules. So I yeah. find those two, um, uh, those two maxims work pretty well together. Yeah. One of the things I found with that second rule um, is that most of the time when someone tells you they can't, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that, they're not talking to you, right? They're trying to defend their own life choices. Exactly. Right? Um, and so, so they're, they're projecting something on you that's in their, in themselves. And that, that realization was something that was really helpful to, to give myself permission to break rules, right? Cause there's a lot of things about, you know, you're 35 years old and you have four children, you should have, you know, a corner house in a, in a suburban lot with your, your business. Like that, you know, that's, that's, those are, expectations, right? But they're not, they're not hard and fast rules for how you can live your life. You can, you can choose to live your life the way that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the and people you who tell you, you have to, yeah, people who tell you you can't are talking to themselves, not you. And the third maxim, and it's, it's interesting. I find usually to apply a friend of mine gave me this one many years ago is that a mule will wait 20 years to kick you once. <laughs> and <laughs> It isn't to say that you should necessarily hold grudges and wait for your chance to kick people, but sometimes you're best watching the situation, watching the stories that people are stuck in, watching the narrative that's swirling around you, and just wait for your opportunity. Because if you're reactive, if you just engage with whatever is causing the flashing yellow light to appear on your bullshitometer, then, then <laughs> You're, you're going to get caught up in that scenario. And sometimes it's like, you know what? Just keep hauling that heavy pack. Just keep walking down the trail. You're going to get your chance. Be patient. Don't get sucked into the, the maelstrom of, of BS that's going on around you. Yeah, yeah. And I like that the whole reactive thing. One of the, my, my sort of metaphor for the same thing is that between stimulus and response, there's choice. And most people... When they they have received stimulus, they just respond. Um, and if you learn to separate those things, that's where you have the patience. Um, yeah, you can you can choose your responses. Um, and I think your life is more fun to live when you learn how to s- separate those two. <laughs> Unquestionably. Awesome. So that is basically a wrap on our interview. But I do finish all of my interviews with a simple challenge I call the Heroes Challenge, um, and I do this basically to get access to stories I might not might not be able to find on my own because not everyone is out looking to be hosted on podcasts. So, question is simple: Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine, and why do you think they should come share their story with us on the Hero Show? Well. I'm sorry, I'm limited to only one because I have been very good at surrounding myself with with some fellow superheroes to to keep your metaphor going. But a dear friend of mine has been Dr. Margarita Gurry, the Red Shoe Doctor. She's at drredshoe.com. She is a PhD psychologist. She speaks on a number of topics, including ethics. She's very funny. She has a wonderful story of coming to the U.S. long ago with her family as a Cuban exile, sneaking out of 
out of uh, Castro's Cuba, arriving in the U.S., not speaking in English. She speaks perfect English now. She's just funny and upbeat and full of humor and good messages. And uh, one of my dear friends in life. And I think she floats very close to the top of the list of people who would be a wonderful guest on your show. Awesome. Well, we'll reach out afterwards, see if we can get uh, connected to her. So in, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering on the acts of heroism for the hero. So our analogous to that as we close is where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, you know what, Dave, I would really like to get your help learning to tell stories. And I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and ask for your help? The people, okay, so first of all, I have a website at storysailing.com. That's S-A-I-L-I-N-G, storysailing.com. That's my main website. And then I also have a subscription content about presentation skills. And you can find that at 52speakingblunders.com. And that's a video in your inbox every week. It's extremely affordable, available uh, subscription content that uh, three to five minutes every week. And I've had a lot of fun putting those together. So those are my my principal contact points. And as far as who should contact me, I work with uh, with business leaders a lot, with entrepreneurs, occasionally with politicians. I work with people who want to polish a TED Talk message, things like that. I've done well with some people... um, climbing the ladder in the world championship of public speaking. One of, one of my protégés hit the semifinals, top uh, 35 out of 30,000 last year. And we're working, see if we can get a little closer to that trophy this year. Um, but um, that's, that's for coaching, things like that. And then when it comes to organizations, managers, sales teams, customer service teams, anybody who's a professional speaker, and by that I mean who speaks to other people as part of their profession, not that they're necessarily up on a platform in front of a stadium, but they're facing clients. So it could be a realtor who drives people around all day. It could be a CEO who's who's terrified because they've got to give an address to their 500 employees at the company meeting that's going to be live and in person again coming up. And that's exciting. But now they get to get back on the platform and people make fun of them every year because they're the big boss, but they can't speak their way out of a wet paper bag with the instructions written on the inside, and they know it. So whatever it is, who people, people who want to build that leadership credibility or people who want to teach their teams the art of engagement. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, uh, it's, it's a, a wide sloth of people. So if you're in that space and you need help telling your stories, definitely take the time to reach out to Dave. I know personally, learning to become a better storyteller has been one of the best decisions I ever made in my business. Um, so um, I'd recommend if you know that's a struggle of yours, reach out to Dave and take the time to, uh, to hire someone who's trained to teach you how to tell better stories. Um, and then my, my last question for you, Dave, is you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before we hit this uh, stop record button? Yeah, whatever your message is, start with the transformation. Don't start with what you want to say. Start with how you want them to be. When you're done, work your way backward from the transformation and you will pass from your introduction to your conclusion. Yeah, yeah, that's a 
the escape and arrival, that's what I call it. Um, so you get someone from one side to the other um, for, for whatever your transformation is. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dave. I really enjoyed our conversation um, and we will talk to you soon. Richard, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. 